You're listening to the Jesus Culture San Diego Message of the Week. I actually get the privilege of introducing um, not just one, but two uh, of my friends who are going to be see- speaking this morning. Uh, Jimmy and Gina Horner are the, the directors. Uh, um, they lead the mission. If you've been hanging out with us at all, you've heard about the mission. Um, we, in December, we, we buy gifts for kids in their homes for Christmas. Um, if you were around a few months ago when the war in the Ukraine broke out, um, we as a congregation raised $20,000 to send to them because they, they have a base in Romania, which is right next to Ukraine, and they were hosting refugees who were fleeing the country. They actually went into, you'll hear some of these stories today, they went into Kiev to, to bring food and respond in the midst of what was going on. So these guys are dear friends of Melissa and I, our family. Um, I've known them for almost 12 years. Jesus Culture as a ministry has been partnered with the mission for almost 15 years um, and so we, we, as a church here, I mean, we're almost a year, we've been from the beginning partner with them, that we support them, uh, we, we're partnering with them, whatever, whatever they're doing, we're doing. Fun thing is actually in 2023, we're taking a team to Romania. So if you have a heart to go on a missions trip, you can come with us. We're going to go see their base. We're also going to be doing some trips to Mexico, um, to their base in Mexico. So these guys, um, uh, they were here at our, our first uh, service uh, last year in, in August, um, and so they're not here as much, but I wanted, we, I really was like, uh, you'll hear, they're traveling all over. Gina just got back from Romania, and they're just, glo- you know, globetrotters hopping around. You never know where they're going to be. But I wanted you guys to hear more of their story, um, to hear their heart, because they are a part of our family, even though they're not here every week. So I'm so excited to introduce Jimmy and Gina Horner. You guys know what to do. Can you stand up and give them a warm JC San Diego welcome? Good morning, everybody. Good morning. So great to be with you guys. Um, like, like Zach said, uh, when the church started here, like you got us whether you wanted us or not. Mm-hmm. You, you literally inherited us as family. Yeah. And you can't get rid of us. Yeah. I don't know how many of you guys really know what we do, but we are a, a ministry that was originally based in Mexico. Um, we've been there for 34 years. My parents were the founders. They're absolute heroes of the faith. Um, we moved there when I was 10 years old. Gina and I were, um, have been friends since we were eight years old. Mm-hmm. Um, we met, I know. I know. I have to tell this story because it just wins your hearts over. But I, in uh, the third grade, first day of school in Northern California in Weaverville, I saw Gina on the lawn in front of the school. And I did not go talk to her, but I did go home and tell my mom, I found the girl I'm going to marry. And it happened. And it happened. <laughs> There was a couple years of doubt in there, but I made it. Um, And we have four beautiful daughters. We have two amazing son-in-laws, and we have two grandbabies now. And and that's us. And we've been in Mexico for 34 years. Um, Gina and I took over senior leadership of the ministry, I think, almost 14 years ago now. Yep. Um, And honestly, it's just been a wild, wild ride of... What the heck are we doing? Yeah, that... I mean, to be honest, seriously, it's one thing to watch your parents be amazing and stand in faith and do all the hard things. 
And then it's a whole other thing to like step into that position and go, oh, I have to do that now? Okay, here we go. So lots of failures and lots of fun and lots of successes. Um, 34 years in Mexico, what started as an orphanage became a church with orphanage, um, daycare, family care programs so that we don't end up with more kids in an orphanage. Mm -hmm. And then we have education programs from preschool through high school um, and school admissions for people from around the world. And then f about six years ago, Romania. Oh. <laughs> um, six years ago, Jesus was talking to us about um, expansion and um, getting a little bit further out there. And he told us that he was um, pouring out his spirit on Europe. And do we want to be a part of it? And we were like, yeah, let's do that. Um, and so the first thing we did was we Googled what is the poorest country in Europe? Because that's what we know how to do, is we know how to serve the poor. And... Um, the thing that came up was Moldova. So we bought two airplane tickets. This is my travel agent. He bought two plane tickets and we jumped over to Moldova, rented a car, drove all over the country and thought, yeah, we could do this. Like there is definitely a great need and um, we know how to take care of kids and we know how to educate them and love them and restore families. So let's sign up. But we were, our interpreter who was with us uh, was living in Romania at the time and we were gonna take her back before we flew home. And when we drove across the border from Moldova into Romania, we both looked at each other and knew that we were home. Just this overwhelming sense of home. And on this ridiculous Holy Spirit journey, we got into the middle of Romania to the city of Sigashora, um, and he took us to an 85,000 square foot building and again, that feeling of home was there. So we signed up for Romania and helping with uh, the Roma community. Roma community is gypsy. Um, they have communities all over the world. And in our city in particular, they create villages on the outskirts of the city. And there is a very strong divide between Romanians and Romas. There's a very deep racism. They're looked at as very much less than human. Um, government doesn't do a very good job of taking care of them. And what we've done in Mexico, I thought, when we went there, I thought was going to prepare us for that. But Jimmy and I have had the privilege of going all over the world. We've been in refugee camps in the Middle East. We've been all over um, Central America, North America, different parts of Europe. I smuggled Bibles into China when I was 15. I've seen a lot of stuff. And then you go into a gypsy village outside of your city in Sigashora and you just go, wow, I've never experienced this kind of I don't even know what the word is. Um, Depravity. Yes. When I walk into the village, whoever is escorting me, usually Juan is with me, um, they ask him how much it will cost for me. It's a very normal thing. Our girls that come into our program are usually um, sold 
starting at the age of 10 to 14. Um, by that time, they're usually pregnant, have had a couple of babies. So what a privilege to go into that village and bring them to our campus every day, give them a shower, feed them, love them. And you just watch them de-armor. They take off all the armor and they let you love them. It's so good. And then we put the armor back on and they go back home. And then they get on the bus and they de-armor and they come back to us. Romania is um, my baby. It's my love. Um, this is what we're fighting for. Gina um, and I are, are fighting to see an orphanless world. Yeah. Um, it's, it's our absolute dream and something that we feel like we have to stir a ton of courage to, uh, to say out loud, but, but we want to see in our lifetime an orphanless planet. Yes. And we believe it can happen because we have a father who loves everyone. They just don't know it yet. Mm -hmm. And um, I, our, our dream, dream, dream is that we would be sitting very old together on a porch with our great-grandchildren and have to actually explain to them what orphan is that it would be a word that would be forgotten in the generations to come, that we would have to explain there was a time of brokenness that's been restored. And so mm -hmm. that's what we're going after. And this morning we really want to talk about like kind of some of the way that we're going after that and how God speaks to us and how he's highlighted things to us that, that we respond to in the earth. Yeah. Um, like I was telling you before, I was 10 years old when my parents brought us to um, Mexico and um, they, they started it with telling my sister and myself, hey, like, like we heard a word from the Lord to take care of kids that are, that are in need. And so within six months of that, they actually sold their business, they sold their home, they sold everything they had but two cars and what they could fit in it. And they moved us to a country, they didn't own land, they didn't have anywhere to stay, they didn't speak the language, and they really had no idea what they were doing. And yet we moved into the city of Tijuana and we've been there for the last 34 years. Um, they genuinely are people, heroes of the faith. Yeah. It took them two years before they saw the first child like come on campus with us. And this is my favorite part of the ministry is that most of our senior leadership team are first and second generation kids that grew up in the orphanage or in the family care system. They are our family. Um, my sister Karina is now our base director in Mexico and is leading a campus that has four or five hundred kids there every day. Yeah. And she was one of the first kids that came in. And so Yeah, a lot of our teachers in Mexico mm -hmm. are um, kids that grew up in our orphanage. Uh, we have a couple of girls that just moved to Romania that came into the orphanage when they were five and six years old. Mm -hmm. And now they're my preschool and kindergarten teachers. I think we were about two years into the ministry and there was the only thing that was there was two orphanage houses. There was about 20 kids in each house. Um, if you were here, I don't know, a month or two ago, Leo, my brother, um, was leading worship here. He was one of the first, first orphanage boys. Listen, he tries to claim he's the first orphanage boy. Technically, I moved into the house one first. <laughs> Me. Anyways. So we're doing devotions with my dad one morning. My dad did devotions with us kids every morning, 6 a.m. He would get us all up. He would bring us to the family room. My dad is not a children's pastor. Never was, never will be. But he would sit us all down. He would get his Bible out. He would read a chapter. If we could read, we had to read along with him. And then he would pray. That was it. 
But one day we're sitting there doing it and he's reading, he gets to Matthew 28, go into all the world and he starts hysterically laughing and we're seriously like, no idea why this is funny. And he goes, no, 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 guys. He's like, God like told me to come to Mexico and your lives have been transformed and like you love Jesus and, and now we got to go. And he's like, we got to get what happened in you out there. And we're like, okay, I was 12. And I was like the oldest kid in the room. And, and it was just my dad. And he's like, oh, okay. And so he took like an hour and he's like going to tell us, like, this is how you share your personal testimony. And we're like, we barely have lived. We... <laughs> and so like after an hour of that, this is all the same day. And he goes, he takes 15 or about of us. He puts us in a little bus. He drives us to the other side of Tijuana to the, to the garbage dump and drove us to the bottom of this canyon. And it was where the poorest of the poor of our city lived at the time. Like there was actually a community of poor people that lived in the dump. They scavenged and recycled what they could. They never left. They had stores inside of there. And um, he drove us down to the bottom of the canyon. He got to the bottom. He turned around. He looked at all of us. And he said, because he was the only adult with us. And he said, you guys got to go in groups of two or three. Your mom will be mad if you go by yourself. <laughs> and then he literally opened up the bus doors. And this is all he said. He was like, go get them. And so I was I paired know. up. I know. As a mom now, I'm just like, I, okay. I'm not sure about that, but... Most of us lived. <laughs> no, all of them oh, did. we all lived. We all lived. Um, I was paired with my brother Pablo, and, um, and so we get out of the bus and we go, and we're both like the shyest kids on the planet. Like, I didn't talk to adults. I, anyways. And so we would just, we would walk up to people that were like working in the dump, and we would just stand there and look down. <laughs> I didn't know what to do. And so we would wait until they started asking us questions. They were like, are you lost? And we're like, no. And they would be like, oh, did you, know, did you want to tell me something? And it was like, yeah. And they're like, well, what did you want to tell me? And this is all, I'm not kidding. This is what we could get out. We're like, I met Jesus and um, I'm alive. And then we would stop again, and they'd be like, okay, did, did you, like, want to pray for us? So first guy, he actually asked us, do you want to pray for us? And, we, and we're like, yeah. And so I don't know what we were praying. And he was like, and the guy goes like, well, I want to be alive too. And so, like, all of a sudden we're like, oh, like, it worked. Like, like Jesus. So then all these little kids are, like, running around from group to group. And that was our strand. We just... Wait. You could say wait on the Lord, but it wasn't. We were waiting on ourselves. All these people started giving their lives to Jesus, and then we started going back to the bus, and everything was different on the way back to the bus, because I knew that I was the Billy Graham of Mexico. I was just... And we went back from group to group, and it was like, how many people did you lead to the Lord? Uh, but... We get in the bus with my dad. We're so excited. We start leaving. It was this deep canyon. We're driving up, and um, we get about halfway up the hill, and my dad stops the bus. Air brakes comes on, and when he turned around, he was looking back at the back. Um, he said these words. He said, oh, now what? 
And when he said, now what? Like, Holy Spirit filled that bus. It was just like this, such a surreal moment. And there was just this deep, deep awareness of need. Yeah. There's these people that gave their lives to Jesus, and yet they're living in this place that they don't feel that they have hope. And there was no church in the, in the dump. There was no school in the dump. And, that, and what started with a word exploded when all of a sudden we realized that Holy Spirit was speaking to us through the simplicity of seeing need. And that was our very first church plant. We couldn't afford to buy land around the dump, so we bought land in the dump and built on it. And then it became our very first elementary school, and we built an elementary school for um, 400 kids that were living inside of the dump. Um, he speaks to us through words all of the time, but there's this thing about mm -hmm. seeing need when you're a believer that is equally as important and equally as valued and equally as powerful if you'll respond to it. Mm -hmm. Steve and Kathy are ridiculous in that they knew that they were enough because Jesus was with them. Like, they're not spectacular people. They didn't go to Bible college. They didn't go to language school. They just went. Like, Jesus said, will you do this? And they said, okay. It's so simple. And then Jesus shows up in such an extraordinary way. I think, um, when I think back to, like, that story in the dump and... And just how much faith it took for Steve and Kathy to buy property in the dump and decide to build a church there. Um, it would be very easy to stand back and like call the government and say, hey, why aren't you taking care of these people? Like they're there and they're your responsibility because they're Mexican citizens. Like it's not my responsibility. I came here to take care of orphans. But they didn't do that. They weren't judgmental. They didn't point a finger. They didn't say, you should be doing that. This is your responsibility. They just stepped into the need and said yes. We have a 17-year-old. A um, she just graduated from high school, and she's, she's amazing now. But when she was four, oh, she gave us hell. She was this little tornado. She would just roll through every room in the house, destroy, destroy, destroy. And um, we tried to parent her, and that wasn't super successful. But she's amazing now, so we did something right. We did, we did Loving Your Kids on Purpose, every course they ever had, um, Danny and Sherry. Whatever they did, we learned and tried to implement, and it was a big failure with her. Um, but she had this, like, her bedroom was her battleground, and she would go in there and just destroy it, and we would try our hardest to parent her and get her to clean up her room. You know, the guilt and shame, you have to be a responsibility, the reward system, the discipline, the, the everything, and nothing worked. But every once in a while, she would surprise us, and you'd walk into her bedroom, and it was perfect. Everything was neat and tidy, and she was so proud of herself. And she's just like, Mom, I'm so amazing. Look at everything that I've done. And she's like, yeah, this is great. Next day, you go in there, and it's, like, it's another tornado went, rolled through there. Like, girl, what happened? Oh, well, my cousins came to play. It's all their fault. And she would list them off by name, and 
just lots of finger pointing and blame. And I think it's so like us when we walk out into our city and somebody compliments how beautiful it is, how something is working so well, and we're like, oh yeah, that's, you know, me and my church, we're serving the city like this. But we're not taking responsibility for the hard stuff. Like in our relationship, we've had people come up to us and be like, oh my gosh, your marriage is so strong, it's so amazing. How do you get your guys co-lead together? I'm like, yeah. I work really hard on emotional maturity. I read everything that comes out of loving on purpose. I do all of the communication classes. Like, I work really hard at being a good partner. And then somebody will come up and go, are you guys doing okay? You guys look a little stressed, a little disconnected. What's going on? Like, oh, well, Jimmy. (laughs) And then I list off everything he's ever done since we were eight. She does keep a record. I do. I have diaries that go back to 1987. It's really easy to take respond or to take credit for things that are going well. Like Brett, he's up here killing it. Heaven comes when he sings or plays the guitar, and. Like, we can come in and invite a friend, and they start complimenting on how great worship is. We're like, oh, yeah, I'm an intercessor. I help, you know, I painted that stage. I'm here early praying. And then something happens in worship, and the sound cuts out, and they're like, what the heck? And all fingers go to Brett. (laughs) It's his fault. But we walk out there, and we do the same thing in our city, like the homeless problem the homeless issue, like, oh, that's somebody else's. That's not me. That's not my responsibility. We're super good at seeing fault and not taking responsibility when things aren't going so well. I just don't see that in the life of Jesus. Yeah. A while ago, it was a long time ago, I was driving through our city and I was just, I was just praying for a city. We, we genuinely believe in city saved. Mm-hmm. Can't wait to see it. City saved, nations transformed, and we're driving through the city, and I was just praying, like, God, oh, and it was a, it's a weird prayer. I'm telling you the, honestly what I was praying, and I was like, God, oh, just, I want to see a city saved, like, and then my words started coming, like, give me the city. I'm not sure why I was saying that, but that doesn't even really make sense, but my heart was a city saved, nation transformed, and I'm praying, give me the city, give me the city, and I remember Holy Spirit so clearly going, like, like, I'll give it to you, and I was like, Awesome. And then it was like I stopped praying and I started imagining like how he's going to fix it before he gave it to me. You know, our prayer life is like, like, God, give us the city. And then like there's this other thing like magically like the celestial city is going to be imposed over the top of San Diego. And you're like, it's ours. We're leading it now. <laughs> right? Yeah. And I remember like going like, he's like, I'll give it to you. And I'm imagining like, this is going to be amazing. I'm going to be leading a perfect city. Mm-hmm. And he was like, Jimmy, you got to take it the way it is. And you got to own it the way it is. And it's just this thing of like, like, like when, we're, when we're longing to see cities saved, and yet we see so much need mm-hmm. in our city, and it's so easy to see, and it's so easy to point at it. And yet Jesus always responded. Mm-hmm. If you've got your Bibles, go to Matthew 14. Really familiar scripture. 
We're going to start in verse 14, or 13, actually. And a tiny bit of background. Jesus just found out that John the Baptist had been murdered. He was doing ministry and was trying to get away from the crowds. He's trying to get away from the people so he can grieve the loss of John. 13, and it says, when Jesus heard it, he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. And when Jesus went out, he saw, everybody say saw, a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them, and he healed their sick. And when it was evening, the disciples came to him saying, this is a deserted place, and the hour is already late. Send the multitudes away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves some food. But Jesus said to them, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. And the rest of the story is is that, that Jesus... The disciples go like, well, there's just this massive amount of people here. There was almost 15,000 people there. And Jesus goes, what do you have? And and they give him some fish and they give him some bread. He blesses it, puts it in the hands of the disciples. And the food is multiplied and they feed them all. The word saw when Jesus was, was trying to get away from the people, but he saw the multitude. The word saw doesn't mean that he just saw them with his naked eye. It's the word in Greek that means it's Edo. It's pronounced Edo. I actually don't know how to spell it because I never went to Bible college. (laughs) And the word Edo just simply means this. It means that he perceived or became aware in his spirit of the need of the multitude. And he turned from what he was doing and he met their need. He did the most amazing thing. A multitude of people. He heals all of their sick. And at the end of the day, The disciples come to Jesus with a legitimate need of, hey, these guys have been with us all day long, a crowd of 15,000. There is no food here. It's been great, but we should send them away so they can eat. And Jesus' response is, they don't need to go away. You feed them. You saw it. You feed them. And our response would genuinely be like, that's impossible. And his response is always, I don't care. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like Jesus does not distinguish between natural and supernatural. Mm -hmm. It's one in the same. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so the needs that he highlights to you could be as small as a piece of trash on the ground, or it could be as big as a nation. Yeah. And there is no difference. Mm Mm-hmm. It's just, will I respond or will I not respond to the Spirit of God speaking to me through the simplicity of going, oh, need, need that I wasn't counting on, that I'm not doing right now, that I wasn't, that I don't feel equipped to do, that I certainly don't have the resource for, but need, Mm -hmm. and it's from the Father. I love that, like, Jesus was in the middle of deep grief, and he was going one direction, and it says that when he landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. So Jesus is going this way. He has every right and reason to go want to be by himself, to go mourn his friend, to go mourn his family member. But his Edo inside of him turned him in another direction and he responded. We have been going after orphan this world, taking care of kids, um, 
for a very long time. I started in Mexico when I was 17, and I have been gunning for a leadership position since I was 17. I had my eye on Steve Horner. I was like, I want that job. Kids, education, family, that's what we do. That is the direction that we were going until the war in Ukraine broke out. And we're going this way, and Jesus was going this way. And it took us to be able to pivot quickly and go, I'll respond with you, Jesus. I think it's really important that we realize like Jesus is never going in a straight line. He doesn't have like your plan in his mind. We're supposed to have his plan in our mind. And Jesus is zigzagging everywhere. When in February, when we um, flew over to Romania from Mexico, the war broke out a couple days after we got there. And we saw Jesus pivot towards Ukraine, but it's not anything that we'd ever done before. We'd never gone into a war zone. We'd never done refugee relief. We'd never, we just never done anything like that. We had no idea what, we're, what we were doing. And it would have been very easy to go, we should probably just stay in our lane. Like we're doing really great things. Like our ministry in Romania is changing one, it will change that country one child at a time. I believe, like Jesus told me years ago, that I would raise four presidents. I love my kids. And there's nothing better than going home and going, Mama G, Mama G, Mama G, and getting surrounded by all these dirty little children. It would have been really easy to say, like, we're going to stay in our lane and we're going to do what we know how to do and we're going to do it well. But if I'm going straight and Jesus turned right, like, what the heck? Am I not supposed to be following Jesus? We have to learn how to pivot and pivot quickly if we are Christians. So Jesus said, let's go right and we'll go to the Ukraine. And Jimmy drove back and forth across the Ukraine and Romania border just trying to figure out like what the need was that we could meet. Like where was Jesus leading us? What was he asking us to do? And in that process, we discovered that there were so many people coming into Romania from Ukraine and they just needed a safe place to go. Um, some of them were coming with nothing some of them, their homes had been bombed and they literally did not have a passport. They didn't have anything. And they just got across the border and they were being fed and loved by so generous, ridiculously generous ministries and people and the Romanian fire department. And so we started busing people from the border to our base and just loving them giving them a safe place to cry and a safe place to debrief. And then if they wanted to go to Poland, we'd buy them a plane ticket or a train ticket, or some people went to Ireland, some people went to the UK, um, to Germany, and we helped them get wherever they wanted to go. It wasn't in my heart when I was 17 and started working for the mission. I just wanted to do kids. 
But then Jesus said, let's go this way. And it's really, really important that we learn how to follow without question. If he says, go right, and you're like, oh, it looks a little bumpy. That looks really expensive. Yeah, it probably is, but who cares? That's where he is. We have a really um, tight budget. We feed a lot of kids, and we know how to stretch a dollar really far. And when the Ukraine stuff came, and it was like, we're going to spend thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars on food to help them, on caring for them in our building, on plane tickets and train tickets. It wasn't ever a question of Jesus going, okay, stop feeding these kids in order to feed those kids. Because when you sit at your dining room table, you don't choose which kids get dinner. There's just enough for everybody. And that's Jesus. So when he, asks, when he goes, let's pivot, and he highlights that thing to you, and you start going after it, know that every resource in heaven is available to you. In Matthew like 14, 15, and 16, he says, ask and you shall receive. Ask and you shall receive. Ask me, and I will give it to you. Ask me, ask me, ask me. I will give you anything you want. He wasn't lying to you. We have a ridiculous amount of testimonies of his provision, of his safety, of his love, of his comfort, of his healing. And when I perceive a need and I turn towards it, it is illegal for me to doubt. I can either keep my eyes on Jesus or I can keep my eyes on doubt. And for me, there's no middle ground. So I choose to look at the need through him. And it's through him that everything is possible. Jimmy and I are not special. We are just... Well... Cocky, maybe, but not special. <laughs> we are two very regular people that choose to believe that what Jesus said is real. That choose to put all of our trust in him. Yeah, the moment you said yes to Jesus and his f- spirit filled you, you, you were gifted. You, you were gifted with the sight of Jesus. You were gifted mm-hmm. with Edo. And operating in it just requires faith and courage. Yeah. And it's funny, through, through all of the scripture you read, you have enough faith. Yeah. I love the prayer of increase my faith, but the one time the disciples did ask for it, Jesus was like, yeah, you got enough. Mm-hmm. You just got to use it. Mm-hmm. It's, we all see need. It's just dependent on, if we're truly following Jesus, we're going to respond to it. Mm-hmm. I was um, driving through our, Uh, They built a new area by our Mexico base, and there was like 10,000 people that moved into it. And we loved it. We were excited because we were like, our church is going to grow. And and then the city didn't bring a garbage garbage service with it. So 10,000 people, all of their garbage started coming into our valley on our road. And um, there was a day I was driving through the garbage, and you weren't driving on a road anymore. You were literally driving on a couple feet of trash. And I was driving on it, and I was just like, 
man, somebody should do something about this. And honestly, I was just trying to have a private conversation with myself. <laughs> and I did have like the weirdest out-of-body prayer experience. I, the theology of it's weird, but it was like Holy Spirit got out of me and got in the passenger seat and said, yeah, I should. It was super weird. But anyways, but I'm in it, and I was like, oh, yeah, we should. And we had a brand new church plant. Our church plant was brand new at the time. And, and I was like, that's what we're going to do on Sunday. It'll be Sunday worship. We'll take the whole church, and we'll clean this. And it was, it was actually really fun. We had 200 people, and, and we cleaned all this trash. We had tractors and dump trucks and people. It and was really fun because Jimmy was in an air-conditioned bobcat. It's true. It was smelly out there, but my, but my tractor had a closed door. It was really nice. But me and my girls were out <laughs> picking up trash. It's true. But so it was really fun, though. It was. I took pictures of them from inside the cab. Excuse me. <laughs> we made these really nice signs, like, no dumping, and, and like, let me, let me see on our church. We love you, and all that stuff. And then the next week, all the trash was back. Not all of it, but it was already coming back because there was no garbage service. And um, my sister and I went and we met with the city, went to the city of Tijuana, and we're like, we love the new community. The houses are beautiful, but there's no garbage service. They're just dumping all of that into the valley, on the roads. And they were like, yeah, we just, we didn't get that far, and we, we can't do it. And it was like the moment of like, do we get irate and go like, how dare you? Or the other option was, we just started a garbage company. And so, we, it was a different option, yeah. And we bought real garbage trucks and all of our school mission students became garbage workers. That's and not what they signed up for, but no, that is what they did. Right, but they guys? actually got paid, it was wonderful. And they were amazing. Like, people were getting their garbage picked up and saved and healed all at the same time. And for four years, we had a garbage company. And at the end of the four years, when they came, we actually sold our trucks to the city. Because we never wanted to have a garbage company, but we didn't want to point a finger. And um, Karina, this was like 10 years ago, and Karina was at a city council meeting. This, my sister, who's our director in Mexico, she, um, she was at the city council meeting, and this guy comes over, and he's like, who are you? And she's like, oh, I'm, I'm the director of La Misión. And he was like, are you that church orphanage garbage company? <laughs> and he was like, you guys started a garbage company when the city of Tijuana couldn't. He was like, that's one of the most amazing things I've ever heard. He didn't give us eyes to see so we could point out the failures of the world around us. He gave us eyes to see so that we could demonstrate heaven's love and resource and power and show him who God really is. Go ahead. A few years ago, gosh, it's more than a few years ago now, but... I was teaching um, in Mexico for kids' summer camp. And our theme for the summer was royalty. That as, you know, God is the king of kings and lord of lords, and we are his children, so that makes us royal. And I'm teaching this to our little munchkins who are anywhere from like 3 to 15 years old. And hammering this into them. You are royalty. You are royalty. You are royalty. You are a child of God. And at one point I wanted to ask, I asked them, what does that mean to you? Now that you know that, what does that look like in your life? 
And they had lots of different answers. They were anywhere from, I can be the best basketball player in the whole wide world, to I'm a princess, to I'm a protector. And then one of our little boys, Kobe, he was probably six um, at the time. He came to us when he was two years old. And he came with his two older siblings. He was brought to us by Child Protective Services. His mother had abandoned them um, in Tijuana. And the, his older siblings had taken responsibility of his care. And um, so he was very malnourished. Um, and from living on the streets, and we did a really good job of getting him healthy and whole. And he raises his hand, and, and he says, he describes this area that's right down the road from us that um, had just recently popped up on our railroad tracks, and it was tar paper shacks, no running water, no electricity. And he says, like, those people over there, I can take care of them. This is coming from an orphan, an orphan, because they lose that name when they step onto our property. But the world sees them as that. He was in great need. He was being raised in a Mexican orphanage. But he saw through the eyes of, I am a child of God. And so he knew in that, like, with so much clarity, like, I can do that. I'm six years old, and I know that I can do that. Mama G, how are we going to do that? That's what I want for us. You actually have to know who you are and whose you are so that every time that you see a need, you're like, oh, Daddy's got this. Just stand up. We want to pray with you. I just want you to get this so bad. So bad. Because there are thousands of foster kids in your city that are looking for moms and dads. And if we want an orphanless world, orphans aren't just in third and second world countries. They're right next door to you. And I just want to like highlight a need for you. Backpacks. I was... Uh, I would grew up in a very poor family in Northern California, and my parents couldn't afford to buy new backpacks or school supplies at the beginning of a school year. And um, Dick and Rita McCoy did it for my family. And it might seem really small, but to the kid that gets to go to school with a new backpack, with the cool new pen, and the really cool new folder, like that means a lot. And Zach and Melissa have brought that need to you because they have perceived it and they are edoing it. And it's your responsibility to say yes, because that's where Jesus is. So don't just go for 100 backpacks. Like, do 500 backpacks. There's plenty. Look at all these people in here. Just get three backpacks a piece and call it a day. you put your hand on your eyes only if you're ready to for what happens next because whenever I have asked Jesus for something he has answered me he has never let me down he has never failed me he has never not provided 
So Jesus, I just ask that you would open their eyes to see the way you see. That when you're going somewhere and you are on a direction that you perceive the need and you heal them all, that your compassion is what guides you. So Jesus, just open their eyes to Edo. Open their spirits to Edo. Give them the courage to trust you fully. You are still the God that opened the Red Sea. You are still the God that built the church in the dump. You are still the God that brought the curries to San Diego. You are that God. You have provided all things and you won't stop now. Yeah, and from just from our house to your house, we just bless you. And we're so thankful that we're family, but from our house to your house, we bless you. And just the rich inheritance that we get to walk in of, of radical faith, God, mm-hmm. we just we bless you with that as your own. Yeah. Yeah, a wild, wild increase of faith. It's so funny. It's like Jesus says you have enough, and I'm like, but give me more. Yeah. And so more, Lord, just give us more. That courage to move towards the need, that faith mm-hmm. to move mountains, that faith that doesn't shake when he says they don't need to go where you feed them. Thank you for listening to the Jesus Culture San Diego Message of the Week. For more information on our church, visit jcsandiego.com.